Well, welcome to Redesigning High School. I'm Terry DeBow, an English teacher and the director of special projects here at Hawken, outside of Cleveland. And I'm Julia Griffin, director of the Mastery School of Hawken. And today we are so excited because we get to uh, we get to speak with Denise Pope, who is the founder of Challenge Success and a senior lecturer at Stanford University's Graduate School of Education. Uh, where she specializes in student engagement. Look at all the stuff you do. Uh, Student engagement, (laughs) curriculum studies, qualitative research methods, and service learning. So welcome, Denise Pope. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. In addition to what Terry said, I also want to acknowledge that you are both uh, a good friend and that Challenge Success is now, I think, an official partner of the Mastery Transcript Consortium, and that you've just been a wonderful friend to Hawken. I'm so grateful still for the way that you hosted us when Scott and I and our students were out there last December. Uh, You hosted us at the Grad School of Education, and it was wonderful um, to hear from you directly, and it was really impactful for the students as they were in the process of rethinking what high school could be. Um, So again, thanks. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. It was really fun to meet the students. I, I, I rarely say no uh, when it comes to students. So it was great. That's awesome. Well, so we're going to dig into your work and to dig into the way you do things, what Challenge Success does. But before we do that, could you describe a little bit about the emotional and psychological landscape of today's high school students and what it is they have to navigate? Yes, it is tough to be a high school student these days, um, particularly at schools where there is a lot of pressure to succeed in a very traditional way. Get the grades, get the test scores, get into the best college you can get into. Um, There's this very narrow notion of success that schools and kids are facing right now, particularly at the high school level. And what we're seeing is that stress, that narrow notion of success is really putting pressure on kids and leading them to do things that are not healthy. So we see sleep deprivation, crazy sleep deprivation. Kids are supposed to be getting between eight and 10 hours every single night. And in our uh, surveys, the averages are six hours. I was just at a school where I had to report that their seniors were getting five hours or less. So a lot of problems with sleep deprivation which correlates with mental health. So when you're sleep deprived, you're more likely to also have mental health issues. Anxiety, depression rates are through the roof. We see perfectionism. We see eating disorders related to this stress. We see um, cutting, suicide ideation, and very sadly, suicide completion. So uh, I, I, I feel like the voice of doom, but it's, it's, um, it's a very tough time to be in high school if you subscribe to this narrow notion of success that where you go to college is the be-all end-all and it's going to make a difference for the rest of your life we don't subscribe to that right (laughs) and those of us who work in schools see this you know often right so um and i imagine your work you encounter the hard parts like daily Right. And those of us in schools maybe bump into it occasionally. So um, but we know it's prevalent. Yeah. You know, so you you talked a little bit about how hard it is to be a teenager today, like how hard it is to be a teenager now. And so I guess implicit in that is the idea that these challenges are different from those experienced by previous generations. Is that what your research supports? Yes and no. Certain things about growing up as an adolescent are exactly the same. You know, I have acne on my face. Uh, Did I hit puberty when my friends did? Am I going to be invited to the party? Who am I going to date? 
So add on to all those sort of normal everyday adolescent stressors, what we now have with social media, where you have to keep up with everybody and like everything. And you see when you're not invited to the party, you see it playing out in front of you. Um, add on to that a lot of pressure now. Um, it is harder to get into certain universities and there are more people than ever applying, which is a good thing. We want more people going to college, but there is a perception that you won't get into your favorite college or the best college. And there's a perception that where you go to college really matters. So the pressure has ramped up even more than we were growing up. And the other thing we see is just overload. So there's more advanced placement classes. There's more honors courses. There's more extracurricular activities to take. It's like this huge giant buffet. And we are all gorging ourselves at the buffet when really we should just take a very normal sized plate and a healthy balanced plate and step away from the buffet of all the stuff that we can do these days. So that's part of what makes it different. Yeah. I mean, so listening to that, and as you said, Terry, I think that, you know, people who work in schools on the whole recognize that wellness, that student well-being, and the ex student experience is a major problem. If not, you know, it's one of the top problems um, that their school is grappling with. I hear that, I think, from colleagues all the time. Sure, absolutely. Um, and yet, I would say, you know, as we're building the mastery school, we're in a very unusual position in that we aren't inhibited by any of the the barriers and the constraints, or not very many of the barriers and constraints that schools typically face, because we have that you know mandate to start from scratch and to build something really new and really with kids and their well being right at the center. But there are, you know, but within the within the upper school, within most schools, there are the, a lot of those barriers, and I wonder of the barriers that schools face to doing things differently, what to you are the ones that are the, the hardest or the most entrenched or like the hardest to surmount? Well, and I think it's different with a school like yours where you are starting from scratch, like you said, you can, you can avoid some of those barriers right off the bat. So, you know, even something like the bell schedule where you go from class to class to class to class and you have to fit everybody in um, and classes can only be a certain length because you've got to fit, meet, meet requirements for the district or the colleges or whatnot. The bell schedule can be a factor in mental health. If people are running around like chickens with their heads cut off, but kids and staff alike, that is not a healthy schedule. So um, there's constraints around, you know, sort of a, a big one that we hear a lot is I would love to teach in a way that got every kid engaged, that got every kid excited. But fill in the blank, I, I am an AP teacher and I'm bound by the AP curriculum or I don't have the time and my, I'm teaching really mixed classes of kids or um, project-based learning just takes too much time and too much effort and we've got to get our test scores up, right? There's a lot of constraints built in to traditional schools that really do affect health and well-being and engagement with learning. So, so you're lucky, Joy. I mean, like, well, you, you know, we're very lucky. We're so lucky. <laughs> I mean, and in some ways the, the follow-up question to me is actually, so, you know, with the blank slate and we started to have this conversation last December when we were visiting you, I think, but of course, you know, we're in a, we're in a totally different place with our design process now. And we now have, you know, we're reading applications for students and, and working on some of those things that are like the daily schedule, like the example that you gave. Um, if there were, you know, 
one or two uh, or three other things that you would say to knowing knowing our what we're trying to do with the mastery school that you would say yes for sure do this or don't do that. What are the for you the things that are right at the top of the list? Well, one thing we know for sure is that health and engagement and um, community it there it's all about relationships. So. You don't feel like you belong in school. I don't care how great a schedule you have or how great your teachers are. Creating a climate of care has to be the number one priority. And I know you know this, and I know that that the school will will do that. But for sure, that's definitely top of my list. You've got to feel safe. You've got Good to, to feel like you belong, and you've got to really allow for student to student community, student to teacher community, teacher to teacher community, right? school to community community, right? Yeah. There's just one, it's all relationship-based. That's, that's, we've known that for years and it's just become even more critical. Social emotional learning is connected to achievement and health and well-being. That should be the focus. So that's number one. And I would say number two is we really don't spend enough time listening to students that student voice. And again, I know this is one of the, the, the mandates of the school because it was built with student voice, your school, yes, right? that's right. But, but the students are the ones who experience day in and day out what they're going through. The staff experience it too, but to, to the extent that we do not allow students to have a voice in even how you set up basic processes. Um, that's something that we do at Challenge Success. The students are on the teams. The students will say, that's a fine schedule, but we can't get through the lunch line that fast, right? So like, you need to redesign that. We, you have to listen to what the students are saying about their daily experiences and really empower them to be a part of the solutions. That's, uh, it makes all the sense in the world. As we think about the mastery school, that we have all that opportunity. I wonder about other schools that are living in that world of constraints. What do you suggest they do? You know, it's one thing to have a blank slate. It's one to have a very crowded one. Right. And we work mostly with schools that are already, you know, living in the space doing this. So we have a framework called SPACE, S-P-A-C-E, and there's five categories in it. And what we say to our schools is pick one category and do one thing that's going to be aligned with the research on these best practices of kids. And I'll give you an example. So the S in SPACE stands for schedule. And we already talked about sort of looking at your bell schedule, looking at a later school start time that's more developmentally appropriate for kids, looking at how students are using their time throughout the day, et cetera, their homework load, how many tests and quizzes they have at a time. So there's a lot of work in the S, but there's also the P in space, which is project and problem-based learning. And even if you're one teacher at the school and you don't have control over bell schedules or homework policies, you can actually control what happens in your classroom. And you can say, I'm gonna make my classroom a healthier place. I'm going to focus when the kids come in on saying hello and check-ins and maybe I'll do a two minute meditation to get them grounded. And then I'm going to work on making my curriculum as engaging as possible and really incorporating student voice. You also have control over the A, which is assessment, right? Maybe your school requires you to use grades. Okay. So we're not going to, you know, be allowed to do away with grades, but you have a control over how you build assessments into your curriculum, if you allow revision and redemption opportunities, right? How you look at assessment instead of as a gotcha, as a real tool for learning. And then the C, the climate of care, you, again, you can control that space in your own classroom. And the E is educating the students and the parents and, and really the whole community 
about the developmental needs of kids, which again, that you, you may not have as much control over a teacher as a teacher over those things, but you certainly can control several things to make life better for your own students. Well, I, I, w- I want to chime in on that last point to say something that you said last fall at a site director's meeting at the site director's meeting in November, I think that that I loved was your always be educating um, line to that point about educating others about what's best for kids. And I think that that idea that part of the work as a teacher, as an educator in this space who believes that it's possible to do things differently is that you are always out there educating parents, students, other colleagues about why this matters. Um, and uh, so I've taken, just so you know, I've taken that one that. to heart. Um, and I also should say, now I'm starting to feel like I'm just patting us on the back here at Hawken, but truly, um, we, uh, Kim Sampson, the leader of the upper school, had the department chairs read your book um, last summer, uh, two summers ago now. Um, and we discussed in the fall and started some conversations on the upper school faculty about different aspects of what the book discussed. And we are coming up very soon on our first ever that I'm aware of homework free weekend at the upper school. Yay. And yeah. look, that, it seems like such a little thing, right? A homework free weekend, but it's hard to get everyone on board. It's there hard it to is. get time. But the bang for the buck is going to be huge. And then if you can do it once, maybe you can do it three times. And maybe <laughs> you're going to skip two. Once a month, right? Yeah. Like if we say very clearly, turn the ship slowly. And little things can have a big impact and cause these ripples, right? So I think that's great. I, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. So one of my favorite things to do on our little podcast here is to is to be the cynic. It's just a role I like to play. Skeptic, uh, Terry. I think skeptic. Skeptic. Cynic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just putting on the hat of the skeptic, and he, and it goes something like this. And I'm sure you encountered this, and I want to hear what you would say. Um, yeah. Like, okay, but isn't are, why why are we softening? schools so much or why are we softening every corner of the world to make sure that kids feel safe and tended to isn't part of the job of adolescents to encounter the hard edges of the world to get stronger do we really have to reshape everything so that people feel okay at all times isn't school supposed to be something you push against something like that no that's a great line i hear it a lot um are we coddling are we And, um, and I usually point out that schools were designed with a factory model in mind. And most adults in this world today have work situations that are a lot softer around the edges than schools are set up. So if you are going to miss a deadline at work, you don't get an F that's going to be on your transcript forever you are basically you sit down with your boss and you work it out and um workplaces are very forgiving there's very few things at a workplace that you have to do alone that you've memorized that you can't use any of the resources around you and yet that's how we design assessments in schools all the time you have to memorize stuff it has to be your own work we don't want you to work with others and there you know it's timed the work world doesn't work like this. So you're actually not preparing kids well for a work world when you have this very sterile, artificial, hard environment. We are not about dumbing down by any stretch. We actually have kids complaining that we're making school much more rigorous and hard. Yes, we are. And we're doing it in a way that's much more like the real world work world 
where when you're going to design a project, you get together and have lots of feedback and lots of collaboration. It's very few people do what they do alone and without any help or any resources. So I basically say to parents, if we made your work world more like the schools, you'd be quitting in droves. <laughs> That's a good response. I feel less skeptical <laughs> immediately. <Thank you. laughs> well done. So the so one of the pieces that um, the questions that we get a lot is, uh, and that I know you get a lot is about getting students into college um, and you know, whether a mastery learning approach, a project-based learning approach, et cetera, et cetera. The parent, once you get the, the families to the point where they they buy into, it's the right thing for, for kids, um, this is still a big hurdle. And we all, I think all three of us in this conversation know this for sure. Terry's done a ton of work on um, assembling the arguments in a white paper about this for, you know, and, and I, we love the white paper from Challenge Success. Oh, yeah. um, that's such a great resource. So, you know, we can link to those things for sure yeah. in the um, show notes. Um, but, uh, you know, what are, what are some of the answers that you find yourself relying on most, uh, especially, and I know this isn't the, the majority of schools, but especially for us, because we will be ungraded. Well, our students will, will be, um, you know, developing mastery transcripts and applying to college with those. Right, right. So um, our paper, and thank you for linking to it, because we spent a really long time writing it, um, is called a fit over rankings, because people are having a fit over rankings and getting the kids. <laughs> it was very it clever. All, it is quite clever. We are very proud of that double entendre because <laughs> it means that a fit, finding the right fit school is much more important than the rankings. And, and, and the research is really pretty clear on this, that where you go to college matters much less than what you do when you are in college, right? Engaging in college is what leads to those outcomes of health and well-being and future job satisfaction and even financial uh, thriving. And I think what a lot of people don't think through because you get caught up in this little race of, oh my gosh, we're going to this school and we spent all this money sending our kid to this school. We need them to get into one of the top fill in the blank, 20 colleges, 50 colleges in the United States. People don't realize there's over 4,000 universities in, this, in the United States alone. And when you look at what really does matter, you can get that at almost any university. It turns out the research shows that you need to be engaged. You need to have a professor, at least one, ideally more, who cares about you, who motivates you. You need to be able to apply your learning in kind of long-term projects or internships. You need to, to, to be a part of an extracurricular uh, activity to join a community. It could be the bowling league, it could be a sports team, it could be a fraternity. But I think parents really get caught up, and kids too, in this status concept and in this idea that where I go to college matters and is sort of life or death decision. They feel like it's the most important decision in their life. I had a kid look me in the eye, tell me very straight faced, it's Yale or jail. And you're just like, no, 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 right? Um, the, in the United States, you can reinvent yourself at any time. If any of the three of us wanted to become medical doctors tomorrow, we could. We would be old by the time we finished <laughs> residency, but we could do it. And, and that's different from people from other countries who maybe don't understand the system. So what, what we say to kids and parents is the research is very clear that um, for the majority of the people out there, it's not going to matter at all where you go to college, it is going to matter how you spend that time. It is going to matter that you go to college. 
right? We do know that that over time, there's a big difference between uh, well-being and health and, and money for people who don't. But um, there are a few kids where it may matter. And I just want to put that one caveat up. If you are the first in your family to go to college or you come from a traditionally underserved community, African-American, Latinx, um, impoverished community, it may make more sense for you to go to the more selective school that you get into because often those schools will have a full ride. You will not graduate with debt. You may meet people from all different walks of life who maybe you wouldn't be exposed to if you went to a local community college. Um, for everybody else, it, the research is pretty clear that you can go to a wide, wide, wide variety of schools and have very, very similar outcomes. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you're saying is counter to the whole culture. Uh, so uh, we're going to close here soon, but I'm really curious, how does how does it land? You know, when yeah. you say these things coming from Stanford, you know, which is, you know, part of the constellation. Um, yeah. How do people respond to Because it really does count as runs counter to most of the messaging people hear about school. It does. And so we actually looked into the research on how you convince people of things that are really, really hard to convince them about, right? So I think most people know you have to hear something like 14 times, right? In marketing, you have to try food seven times that you think you don't like. Um, you tell a lot of stories, you use a lot of examples. We, um, we, we use humor, we do exercises, we do everything we can, but when it's gonna come down to it, um, it's really peer to peer that's gonna convince them. You, right now, more and more people are realizing their kids aren't gonna get into those 20 different schools, and they're realizing that the kids who are going to a wide variety of schools that they never heard of are thriving. And I think ultimately we're gonna see that as, as the main convincing point but we do all sorts of exercises and tell stories and um, show the research in as clear a way as we can. We have the kids read the paper and, and look up the research themselves. Um, but it's really going to come down to uh, experiencing it yourself and in your family and in your communities and spreading the word that way. Well, we're happy to spread the word uh, here. Julia, do you have any yeah. more questions for our friend Denise before we sign off? Uh, no, thank you so much as always. Uh, it's, it's just a pleasure. And I do think, you know, I would just say, I know, I didn't know exactly how thoughtful you were about how to persuade and convince people of things that are really hard, but I love hearing you talk about the tactics. Um, Might want to borrow some. I know. I think I'm, we need to take some notes on that because parrot, as Scott likes to say, you know, paradigms fight back. <laughs> and so it takes a big team of us all having these conversations again and again and again, and always educating. And uh, we're just Really grateful to uh, to have you on, to be on your team on this one. Absolutely, so, yeah. I'm so glad. I know we are all kind of salmon swimming upstream, but enough salmon swimming upstream. Yeah, you're gonna be there. That's you're right. gonna get. That's right. All right. Well, we want to thank Denise Pope for joining us today. Uh, uh, as always, these episodes are edited by our friend Nick Fletcher, um, and uh, he's pretty amazing because he does all this work on top of everything else. Thing else he does. Very true. Um, so uh, if you're so moved, we'd love reviews. Uh, you can find our uh, podcast on uh, iTunes, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Follow us on Redesigning School on your social media feed. Sign up for the newsletter. Denise, do you, I'm going to sign you up for the newsletter whether you want it or not. How's that? I would be happy to have the newsletter. <laughs> okay, great. So anyway, thank you, Denise. Thank you, Julia. And thank you for listening. And we'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs>